Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles? That you're isolated and alone? Like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search Living Fearless Today on Facebook, and uh, then just click to join us. I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth, and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rennie Gabriel. Rennie, we have just had some awesome conversations about finances and just like what it brings about both the challenges and the freedom, right? And so Rennie is the author of um, Wealth on Any Income, so helping you not just fall into those false beliefs that you have to have money to make money, but how do you get there from where you're at? You know, that's what we all want. He is a UCLA UCLA instructor. He's a TEDx speaker and a philanthropist with uh, Shelter to Soldier, which is focused on bringing uh, service dogs to uh, veterans, to vets. (laughs) We'll keep it easy. (laughs) So um, the goal there is to help decrease the suicide rate in vets. So statistics show us that about one vet every hour is committing suicide. With this, and Rennie and I can get into this more, they've had no suicides for people that have, you know, for the vets that have received a service dog. And that is amazing. So Rennie, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing terrific, Mike. Thank you so much. And to add on to what you're talking about, with Shelter to Soldier. Uh, if they go to the website, sheltertosoldier.org, or they go to my website, they'll see donation pages. But the they save two lives at a time. Not only have not one vet who's received his dog committed suicide, but the dogs are all rescued from environments where they could have been euthanized. Mm. So the dog's lives are saved that in turn save the soldier's life. That's awesome. So it's a a double-ended blessing in, in how things go forward there. So, yeah. yeah, it's just, I'm so privileged to be able to do this. Well, yeah, I can see why that's amazing. Well, Rennie, if we can, let's start off with where things are for you on the business side. What does that look like for you today? Um, the business side mostly is uh, investing as opposed to uh teaching other people how to handle money effectively. That's not how I make my money, uh, but that's where the money comes from that I can donate to the charity. Uh, 
So 100% of my profits from the work I do at this point are donated to Shelter to Soldier. Um, and how can I do that? <laughs> well, it's because um, I, I followed what wealthy people do, and I have a passive income that's actually far greater than any money that I earned while I was working. That that in and of itself is is phenomenal. Well, can we go to the personal side? What does personal life look like for you? Uh, well, um, we just got back uh, last week from uh, touring the Northeast just to watch the leaves change color. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, Martha's Vineyard and the Norman Rockwell Museum and all sorts of other stuff while we're back there. So uh, now that the pandemic is starting to ease, we can do some traveling. Uh, my wife and I have the opportunity to spend lots of time together doing whatever we choose. And, um, you know, we have a great portfolio manager. My tenants are wonderful. Uh, life on the personal side is, I'm very blessed. That's the best way to say it. I'm just very blessed. Yeah. And so you're speaking about tenants. So you've got rental property. Is that the passive side or is that something yes, different? That, okay. that is one of the path. That's, that's the path that led me to the financial freedom, what I call complete financial choice that my wife and I have. Um, you know what? I don't want people to think, oh, gee, he's so lucky. Look at what he's got. Look at these rental properties and all these people paying him income. And blah, blah, blah. Like, I worked seven days a week for about five to six years to produce this result. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even start until I was 50. And at 50, after a second divorce and uh, a business failure I had earlier, I was flat broke. I mean, I don't think I could have put $3,000 together if my life depended on it when I was 50 years of age, which is, well, I'll call it embarrassing. And not only embarrassing from the standpoint of I'm 50 years old and I have next to nothing, but in the past, I was certified as a financial planner. So, I mean, here I'm supposed to have been trained in, in the area of money. And at age 50, I'm flat broke. How how common or uncommon is it for people at 50 to be in that same situation? Well, from my speaking, I found out it's it's way too common. And a lot of people think that they haven't put it together by age 50, that it's too late. And that's when I got started and, and really put it together. So, and I've got one of my clients got divorced when he was 65 and had a quarter of a million dollars of debt. I mean, he was worth less than zero by a quarter million dollars. And he's now a millionaire. So he got he started over at 65. There is no age where it's too late. So it's is it more a mindset, like a mental state to where it's too late rather than being physically too late? Like if you don't, if you if you kind of set yourself in that prison, then it's too late. Is that accurate? Oh, it's completely accurate. It's really all about mindset. I've got what I call the three secrets of the wealthy. And the first one and the biggest one, the most important one is attitude. And uh, I'll give you a little acronym for the uh, three secrets. Uh, it's attitude, forms, and investments. And the acronym is AFI, <laughs> which is not the American Film Institute. Um, it's 
It stands for attitude, forms, and investments. Uh, because the wealthy have different attitudes. As a matter of fact, I wrote a second book just covering those attitudes. And they look at the forms that we've all seen and used differently. Like maybe we filled out a form for the bank uh, to borrow some money. They want to know, well, what do you have now? Well, a wealthy person looks at that. It's called a net worth statement differently than ordinary people. Like your CPA might tell you your house is an asset listed as an asset. You know, it's, it's, it's worth you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, tens of thousands of dollars more than you paid for it and more than your mortgage. That's not an asset. The house sucks up money. It's a liability. You've got, you know, mortgage payments. And even if it's free and clear, you've still got utility payments. You've got repairs. You've got insurance. It takes money. It's not generating money. And so a wealthy person looks at those forms like, what assets generate money for me? So and then the last item, investments. People think, um, oh, you know, I don't know about the stock market, therefore I can't do anything. Wealthy people are not limited to stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. They, they may have real estate. They may do peer-to-peer -peer lending. Uh, they have equipment leasing. They have their own business. What, I mean, there's so many things besides stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. So they're seeing themselves differently as well as like they're like they're outside of the box, right? Yeah, they're not exactly. just, they're not relegated to what we're inclined and taught to just think of as far as um, like you talked about the investments, they're looking at a bigger scope. And so they're finding the things that we may overlook or just take for granted. Is that right? Well, they're taking advantage of the things we not only don't see, but didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. So how did you come about discovering those? Like, I mean, was it something that you learned a long time ago or was it something along the journey that you've, you've discovered yourself? Like, how did you go about determining this stuff? Yeah, it was along the path of my own journey. Um, as like I said, I was embarrassed that I was a financial planner and broke at 50. But the problem with the education of becoming a financial planner is that you're taught how to help other people either become wealthy or stay wealthy. Uh, you know, insurance, you know, stocks and bonds, limited partnerships, whatever. Not about how to handle money powerfully on a day-to-day -day basis. The foundations of handling money are not taught to financial planners. They're not even taught to certified uh, public accountants. It's not taught to people in school. Parents can't teach what they don't know. It's abysmal, the lack of financial education that we have in this country. So I set about trying to learn this stuff. And one of the most important things that I learned was that, and it doesn't matter if it's having a great relationship uh, with your significant other. It doesn't matter if you're growing a business or attempting to become wealthy. Um, what I say is wealth creation is a team sport, not a solo sport. There's not one successful wealthy person or business person who did it by themselves. So you mean when I'm mad at my wife and I go spend on stuff to get back at her, like that's not healthy? 
Um, Yeah, I think that's not healthy, Mike. Um, Yeah, exactly. And not only that, if you had a conversation with someone else about why you're mad at your wife, you might end up with a different perspective and not feel the need to go out and buy stuff. It's a team sport. And I say that tongue in cheek, Justin. I I know. I know. It's one that that was the habit that I did function under. So, and I've known plenty of other people that have done that same thing. Hey, I'm mad. And so I'm going to go do this. But what we're doing in essence is hurting ourselves, not hurting our spouse. It's, it's just self-inflicted pain that's coming out of, um, you know, a lack of communication there. So, yeah, exactly. So. It's, it, you know, it's similar to my uh, hearing an alcoholic one time say, I work so hard during the week, I deserve to get blind drunk on the weekend. Mm. That deserve to destroy yourself. That's kind of a mismatch. Yeah. And, and we often don't realize it. Yeah. Right. Until that person goes into AA and finds out what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Rennie, as, as you've got, you know, I'm at 50 as well, and I've got four children that are adults now. So how, how did you at that point, you know, when you're like, Hey, I can't even get $3,000 together. Like, how did you go about one changing your attitude, but how did you also then go about educating yourself on how to go forward successfully? Um, I would say one of the keystones was a book that I'd read a couple of times earlier and started the process and then stopped. But at age 50, I started it again and continued it. I was at least earning a a living, not much. I was earning 5,000 a month. That's why the title of the book is Wealth on Any Income. I literally produced a million, millions of dollars of net worth, starting by earning $5,000 a month and setting aside. Well, you know what? Let me put you on the spot a little bit, Mike. Sure. You, you may be able to answer this because you speak to a lot of people. You're a smart guy. Um, uh, have you heard of the expression, pay yourself first? Yes. Okay, great. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the second question is, can you explain it? It's before you have any other bills that you take money out of that and put it intentionally into savings investment in whatever you're working on before you get to paying your mortgage, your utilities, anything else. So you're taking after taxes, you're taking that money and putting it off to its specific tasks. So it's not, you know, Starbucks, a movie. A hamburger, whatever the case may be. Is okay. that a line? Yes. You are one of the very few people, and I've been on a lot of podcast interviews. You're one of the very few people who answered that correctly. Hey, cool. Yeah. So, and, and here's how I say it. I say, you deserve to treat yourself like you matter, which means you pay yourself first. Mm-hmm. Let's say you set aside 10% of your income into savings or investments or wherever it is that you will keep for the rest of your life. It will never get spent. It will just grow your net worth. And uh, when I ask a lot of people to explain that to me, they'll say, yes, I've heard of it. Oh, I know what that is, but they can't explain it, number one. And number two, they don't do it. 
and well, that's just like going to the gym. I mean, for yeah. a long time, I neglected myself. I mean, I'm on a, on a path to reclaiming my health. And, uh, but I mean, how many of us know about the gym, know about <laughs> ways to be healthy, um, but knowing something and practicing it, I think it's the practicing like that intentional action is where we drop the ball and knowledge without action doesn't get us there because I can know I love my wife, but if I'm not, you know, doing loving things, she doesn't care how much I know until I can express it and show it to her. Exactly. One of my mentors used to say, knowledge is the booby prize. Because like you said, without putting it into action, nothing's going to change. It doesn't make any difference if you know where the gym is or you know how to do sit-ups or whatever. If you're not doing it, it's irrelevant. Yeah. So as you were talking about your 50, you were making 5,000 a month. or five, And I set aside $500 a month. Okay. In three years, I'd saved up $18,000. And one of the, you know, there are people who say, <clears throat> you want to have a positive attitude. Well, it was a very frightening negative attitude that I had that got me started because I said, hey, I'm 50 years of age. You know, if you look at age 65, that's 15 years away from me. Am I going to be eating cat food or tuna? Mm. And I said, I've got to put it together. And okay, so three years later, I've got $18,000. Whoopee. This is where it's a team sport, not a solo sport, comes into play. My wife had a realtor who said, uh, Rennie, you should buy this triplex, little three unit property. So, oh, that's great but I've got $18,000 in Los Angeles. That doesn't buy anything. Okay. Yeah. So my wife said, well, if this is a good deal, I'll put in $18,000. And the realtor said, this is a good deal. I'll put in $36,000 and the three of us will have the down payment together. Wow. And that's what we did. That property, after we cleaned it up, re-rented it and did stuff like that, Oh, about four or five years later, it was worth a half a million dollars more than we paid for it. And the tax wow. law allow you to transfer that to another property without paying taxes. And that little three unit allowed us to transfer into a 15 unit building when we sold it without having to pay the capital gains taxes on that profit. Mm. And over, you know, I think it was, let's see, 53, 58, five years, over the five years, we went from that first three unit purchase. I borrowed money. This is what another wealth, this is what wealthy people do. They borrow money to make money. They don't borrow money to buy a big screen TV. Okay. So I borrowed money and used it to make down payments on more apartment buildings with my wife and this realtor. And in the five years, we went from that three unit property to 50, five zero units we owned and managed. So the the basis of what you're saying is doesn't matter where you're at start. It, yeah, ab exactly. Start and you don't have to do it alone. I didn't have good credit to qualify for the bank loans. When we started the bank added my name because my wife and the realtor had good credit. Gotcha. Yeah. And so in, in understanding your journey, you <clears throat> had built up some money and gone through two divorces kind of on the path, but each time you ended up um, building up more wealth than the time before. Exactly. So were there 
foundational things that you had learned before that you then applied and refined as you went along? Yes. And one of them, again, is the very foundation of pay yourself first. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you the example of how important it is to have a team and, and talk to people about what you're doing. And wealthy people aren't embarrassed to talk about money. They do talk about money. When I was about 30, um, I was uh, in business and I was, I'd read the book, The Richest Man in Babylon for the first time. And I started setting aside, I was earning 3000 a month, set aside 300 a month. 10 months later, uh, I was filing my income taxes and the IRS said, oh, cool. You owe $3,000 in income taxes, which is everything I'd saved up over 10 months. And that's all I had. And it all went to the IRS. And I was so dejected and upset. I didn't, I stopped paying myself first for another like eight or 10 years. Now, had I been having conversations with other people, instead of attempting to just do everything by myself, someone could have said to me, well, Rennie, if you hadn't saved up that money, you'd have had to borrow that to pay the IRS and have paid interest as well. It's a good thing you were doing it. Maybe what you need to be doing is paying yourself more than 10%. So you also take care of the taxes. But I wasn't talking to anybody else. So like when you're talking about the community around you and having um, like that perspective that encourages you to continue on to, you know, like you talked about, instead of stopping, increasing, how do you select those folks to come alongside of you? Because I mean, we do have to be careful on oh, yeah. what their mindset is. How do, how are you selecting those for the people that are alongside of you now? Well, I kind of, uh, I lucked out with my wife. Um, uh, well, no, I wouldn't say I lucked out. I actually um, manifested my wife and she talks about she had manifested me. Uh, and what I'm getting at is, you know, when, when there was a study at Harvard on the graduating class, I don't know, like 70 years ago. And they said that of the, uh, the students who had written goals uh, when they graduated, what they wanted to accomplish, written, not just buzzing around in their head, um, those students, uh, and it was about 3% of the students, ended up with a net worth that totaled the other 97%. Wait a minute. Say that again, please, Randy. <laughs> okay. Um, of the students that graduated from Harvard, and I think it was around 1950, they did a study uh, about 20 years later. Uh, and those students who had written goals on what they were going to accomplish created a net worth that equaled the net worth of the other 97% of the class. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, 
head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. And so do you think that all the students had heard about goals and about writing them down? I, I'm going to guess a lot of them did, but 3% of them did it. And so this and, goes back to like what you talked about knowing and doing, and that's the differentiator. So just, I think we can take away from today easily, just start, don't <laughs> do it alone, write things down and actually do them. Yes. And so getting back to how I lucked out with my wife, I had a list of 20 items I was looking for in my next relationship in terms of uh, personality, attributes, attitudes, uh, spirituality, you name it. My wife, <laughs> my wife <laughs> had a list also, but hers was had 72 items on it. You had so a high we were, bar. You had a high bar bar yeah. to meet there, Rennie. Jeez. Oh yeah, I got. I I think I li- I met about fifty of the seventy two. She met eighteen and a half of my twenty. Very cool. Okay, yeah. so you know, so I was, so I manifested her. She manifested me. Uh, we are a match. We're still together twenty three years late. Let's see if how old. Yeah, twenty three years later. And Congratulations! That's awesome. Thank you. Um, And she had uh, a realtor that she had been working with for years. And so, you know, by, you know, sort of like when you want to get a good CPA, you'll ask people, you know, who appear successful, who is their CPA? Well, this was the realtor she was using, uh, who she trusted and had confidence in. So, you know, that's how it worked. Uh, Jim Rowan has a great expression. He says, uh, your income will be uh, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And, you know, so if you're talking about creating wealth, you seek out people who are where you want to be. Um, If you want to grow a successful business, you have conversations with people who have businesses that are successful, like you want to have. If you want to be an online marketer, you talk to people who appear to have succeeded in that business. You Or you talk to others and say, who do you know who's really succeeded in that business? You do referrals and you start having conversations with the people who are where you want to be on your journey. So how, how are you kind of vetting out like who is authentically at that level and then who's kind of putting on the mask of being at that level? How are you kind of... It's again through referrals okay. uh, because I got a lot of people saying, oh, Rennie, you should invest with us. Uh, and what I do is I say, well, let me talk to some people who have invested with you. And I've made mistakes. I remember making some investments in uh, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, buying some condominiums with a company that had overinflated their values that we purchased. And then they ended up collapsing and you know we lost money. Uh, so I have made mistakes. It's not all been a perfect road. Um, but by the same token, one of the things that I do now is if someone talks about some investment they have, I'll test them out uh, if I don't have a referral to them with $50,000 and see how they do and measure it in a couple of years. Uh, if I lose it, it's not the end of the world. 
if it turns out well, I invest more with them. And that's the way that I've been doing it. Gotcha. How have you, like, as you're going through this and, you know, you're, you're growing your financial education and, and knowledge, how are you also growing yourself to, to fit that level? Like, are you, um, are you working with other people or is it part of the five that you're working with, you know, that you're surrounding yourself with, or is there other things that you're doing as well? Um, yeah, there's a lot of things. One of them is that um, I have, uh, well, it was a mastermind. Um, you know, if someone's going to coach someone else, they ought to be coached. In the same way, if you're going to go see a psychologist, they're supposed to be under therapy themselves. So I do have someone that I've been working with for over 25 years. Um, so, and, and at this stage, we coach each other. But the point is, we have that relationship. Uh, I am, I have been in as many as three mastermind groups at one time. Now I'm just down to one mastermind group, but it's a group of people who are in the online space that I'm in are very successful and share their knowledge with other people in the group. If you go into this group and you say, who do you know who um, can help authors publish a book? we have referrals. Who do you know who is uh, excellent at search engine optimization? Uh, well, one of the people in the group wrote the textbook on search engine optimization, literally wrote the book. Uh, you know, so those are the people in the mastermind now. There's, well, 150 people in it. The resources are incredible. Whenever anyone needs anything, we're all, you know, pleased to provide the information to one another or help someone else in the group. That's amazing. So um, as you've been going along, it wasn't just about collecting wealth. Like we've also talked about um, sheltered a soldier. So how did you, cause some people will just have like their worth and identity wrapped up in the money and won't part with it. But this is a passion for you. How did you get to that point where it's like you went from not being able to get 3000 to now you're, you're like open-handed with it, helping others and, and, you know, um, saving lives literally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, back during the Vietnam war, I had it really easy. I was in the Naval reserve while people I went to high school with were crawling through rice paddies. Uh, I'm on a ship sitting at a table to eat food, taking showers. I had it really easy. And some of the people I went to high school with didn't even come back. Um, so uh, recognize the service people allow us in being posted in other parts of the world to give us the freedoms to let us do what we're doing. And so it's important for me to support them. That's number one. Number two, I love dogs. I think they're the best creatures on the planet. And, uh, and they're euthanized by the thousands. So, uh, you know, I've always contributed to animal causes. My wife has also been the chairperson of a charitable foundation locally in Los Angeles. And someone brought to her attention sheltered a soldier when it was only about a year in existence. And here's a charity that saves dogs' lives, saves soldiers' lives. For every dollar, they're doing two things. 
And so I've shifted a lot of money to them. I mean, I'm talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And every $15,000 that they get takes care of all of the requirements for raising a dog, training the dog, feeding the dog, the vet bills. And then when the veteran shows up, they're housing the veteran, training the dog with the veteran. It's an 18 month process. And actually the dog picks the veteran that they want to be with. So what and is the whole it, process like that look oh, like? Yeah. I mean, I know they have to train the dog to be a service dog, but what are they doing then with the vet to like pair them up for success together? The dog picks the vet. The dog picks the veteran. And I, there have been veterans who've said, well, let me try this dog. Let me try that dog. And it's, and they discover it's not a match. And then they get to, let's say the third dog. And that dog says, yep, you're the one I want to work with. You're the one who can keep me. You're the one I'm going to help. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know how it works. I'm not a dog, but the dog knows. Gotcha. So are they then training the vet to work with the dog as yes, well? Yes, absolutely okay. correct. Because the, the vet needs to know the kind of commands for the dog, whether it's to open the door or um, bring them something and you know where to sit and how to position themselves with the dog. As an example, one of the things that the dogs can do, which is absolutely amazing, is when... I mean, these are veterans who are suffering from PTSD or traumatic brain injuries. Something might trigger them to melt down. Maybe they're in a crowd at a department store and all of a sudden they're starting to melt down. The dog recognizes that and removes the soldier from the environment. It, it's, you know, understanding the dog is telling you, you must leave now. I am taking you out of here. Hmm. And it's just amazing what they can do. And so it's it's a rescue dog that's been trained to function as a rescuer. That's to, correct. Yes. To the vets. Okay. That's a great, great way of phrasing it. A rescue dog is trained on how to rescue the veteran. That's amazing. I love that. And And I think for that, it's like they're helping. They're seeing stuff just like you talked about somebody seeing you know, like the money you were investing, it's a different perspective that can help yep. us out. So um, what would you say like, hey, you've got somebody in front of you, whether they're 35, 45, 50, whatever, what is like the first step, whether it's financial or mental, emotional, what are you seeing through like your clients that you work with is the thing that helps them take that first step in getting out of their situation. Uh, the first step is actually to write down where they are, to identify what they have, what's coming in, where are they spending it. And a lot of times there's a handholding process just in that because there can be denial about, well, I don't want to look at, look at it because it's going to be so horrible. I don't want to face it. And every time I've held someone's hand through that process and they've written down where the money's coming from and how much they're spending, where it's going, how much they've accumulated, they find out they're in better, a better situation than they feared every single time. It's never as bad as they thought. 
So is it kind of that unknown or just the fear of like where they're at that, that kind of plays louder than, than the reality? Absolutely correct. It's that not knowing that creates so much anxiety. Once it's known, then you can actually do something about it. And so where, when you have them write down now, you're talking about writing down like their financial situation, correct? Correct. Yes. Do we you, can't get to the emotional or attitudes until we at least find out where they are. And what I what happens is when they've written it down, I know what the attitudes are. <laughs> I I mean, well, you know, I've got the training. Yeah. As an example, let's say someone has thirty thousand dollars of credit card debt, and they've got thirty five thousand dollars in a savings account. I already know that they did not create that savings account. Really? How did that come about then? It may have been an inheritance. It may have been a lawsuit settlement. Maybe they were in an auto accident and this was a settlement. Uh, It may have been something someone gifted to them, a relative, but they didn't produce it because if they did, they wouldn't have $30,000 of credit card debt. So it's a windfall of some sort, right? Yeah. Yeah, they've been spending in a way that they think they have more money than they do, or they want to impress someone else or whatever it is. And those are the things, that, the attitudes that come up when we're having conversations. Gotcha. And does does the situation that they have money in the bank and they have that debt also then communicate like how they feel as far as like their security with yes, stuff? Exactly. What, yeah. what does that show you? They're afraid to spend that $30,000 because they know they didn't create it. Mm. And they don't, they haven't taken the actions to create more. They've created debt instead. So, yeah, I mean, when when that financial form is filled out, I, I know who I'm talking to. And then where do you go from there? We have we start with conversations. Start with conversations about you know what happened and you know the experiences and how do you feel about this and what are you hoping to accomplish? What are your goals? What are your objectives? What's gotten in the way? Those are the things that we talk about. Gotcha. What do you see as like a common thread that folks are coming in with? Like, what would you you say is like the most common? Um, uh, I'd say it's split between two areas. Okay. Um, one area is someone is already in a good situation and they want it better. And someone feels like, and the second is someone who feels like they're treading water. It's coming in, it's going out and they don't feel like they're getting anywhere. Gotcha. Okay. Those are the two primary situations. And Occasionally the- it's someone who just says, I think we're paying too much in taxes because friends of ours aren't paying as much as we are. But I get referrals from CPAs, so that doesn't happen very often. Gotcha. Okay. And then as people are are getting a hold of their finances and they're then addressing their emotions, like how do you see things um, change for them overall in other areas of their life? Um, it, It impacts all the areas. Uh, I, I recall a, a general contractor, he, he remodeled houses, um, and 
you know, his attitude was I, you know, if I pay myself first, if I set aside money, I won't be able to pay my vendors. I won't be able to pay the supplies. I won't be able to cover my payroll. It was, it was all in his head. Um, I said, well, could you at least set aside 1%? You know, you get a check for $10,000. You're saying you can't set aside a hundred bucks. said, oh, well, okay. Yeah, I guess I could do that. Anyway, in six months, he'd set aside $50,000. Jeez. Yeah. He was very coachable. If I told him to go buy flowers for your wife, he did it. But the point is a lot of the stress like that he had in the family over the business finances disappeared when he felt he was handling it better. He was more relaxed at home and it improved the relationship at home. So it, yes, it expands to other areas. And then, so from what I'm understanding is don't just go get the coaching, be coachable and act upon it. <laughs> is that important, Renny? Oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that piece. Yes. If you get the coaching, but you're not coachable, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. Yeah, it is. So what would you say as you've gone from, um, you know, through losing it all twice to where you are today, what's been like one thing that stands out that, you know, you've done well, that you would pass along to others that are, you know, on their journey um, to reclaiming, you know, both who they are, but also their finances. Uh Something we've talked about. I didn't do it by myself. As an example, uh, it's embarrassing, but I'll admit it. When I was struggling with money, I went into a program called Debtors Anonymous. It's a 12-step program for people who can't handle money. And this is as a financial planner. I've never heard of Debtors Anonymous. Yeah, well, you got Alcoholics Anonymous, you got Overeaters Anonymous, you got Debtors Anonymous. I mean, there's a 12-step program for almost anything you could think of. So what did it enlighten you on that started you on that, that, that healthier path? The most important thing was earning more money will not solve a problem of mismanagement. I, I thought I could earn my way out of my problem, but as I just earned more money, I just was getting deeper in debt. I, I love that. That is profound. And it's so true. We can't throw money at a problem. <laughs> no. It doesn't solve the problem. No, exactly. And so that was the most important thing I learned. And what I learned is if I handle my expenses first, it's easier to not only increase my income, but then I have something left over to show for it. And Renny, you had talked about the book, Richest Man in Babylon. Yes. Um, being uh, you know like an important book for you. What would you say are some other resources or books that helped you to get from where you were to where you are now and and continuing on? Um, I would say one of the other foundational books was written by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. And uh, I think anyone you talk to, they will have these books that they have read as foundational books. Um, You know, and then there's other, you know, Barbara Sher wrote a book called Wishcraft how to get whatever you want, which deals with attitude and not working by yourself. You know, so uh, the themes in the wealthy barber, the themes in uh, Mike McCallowitz book, profit first are all the same thing. 
treat yourself like you matter, pay yourself first before you do anything else. Yeah, very true. <laughs> awesome. Well, Renny, thank you very much for coming on, sharing what your journey has been, what you've discovered, and, and how other people can also make that transition. We're not stuck unless we choose to remain stuck. Uh, Renny, how can people reach out and connect with you? The easiest thing to do is to go to my website, wealthonanyincome.com forward slash TEDx. They'll be able to hear my TEDx talk where I talk about how we've all been, what I want to say, indoctrinated to believe it's better to be poor than to be wealthy. And the cure is a nine-step roadmap to complete financial choice. And they get both by going to wealthonanyincome.com forward slash TEDx. Awesome. Rennie, thank you so much, my friend. You're welcome. Thank you, Mike, for the opportunity. My pleasure. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one. <laughs>